Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this 50th episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, producer Mike Bruner and I reflect on the past episodes with highlights and key learnings. Mike, let's welcome everybody to the binge. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I tell you, I am ecstatic. Uh, 50 episodes. I, I can't even get my head around that. It has been uh, like a blink of an eye. Like, I don't know how you're feeling, but my God, we've, uh, I never thought we'd get to 50 this fast, but it's been a, uh, it's been a roller coaster. Yeah. It's been a fun journey to interact with so many uh, designers across the industry, so many artists, so many people that help games make it to production and it, doesn't seem like we've been doing it for as long as we have, but yeah. And it's still, obviously we got a, a ton more to go and uh, I, I can't wait to see kind of what's coming forward in the next 50, but man, like, you know, you got to think when we started this and I think it's important to kind of highlight to people um, why we started this. And if there's anybody watching a live, feel free. If you got questions for us, shoot it down in the comment area. Uh, we'll do our best to answer uh, any questions you guys have for us. Um, Whatever's on your mind, uh, shoot it to us and we'll get through them all. Um, but when we started this, uh, this was, I guess, back in May of this, uh, this past year, our goal was really to um, create an area where people can go for learning. I know myself, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a game designer and publisher with Tin Robot Games. You've got Elixir Games with your game. And I got mm-hmm. a kind of behind me here on the shelf here, uh, the Queen Bee, awesome game, by the way, played it uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, what I found was um, there's this kind of thirst for knowledge and trying to uh, learn as much as you can about the industry. Cause it is a steep learning curve. Right. And it's, it is very, very wide and goes very, very deep in terms mm-hmm. of the information that you got to kind of gather to either publish a game or even publish a game on Kickstarter. And I kind of look at those as the same or even separate. Um, and what I found was a lot of the, the groups that I went on, um, you know, a lot of them were kind of meme based, right. There wasn't anywhere other than, I'd say Jamie Stagmeyer's and uh, mm-hmm. great, great website, StoneMeyerGames.com. You can see all of his, all of his blogs. He does post games and all of his, all of his launches. But other than that, I couldn't really find somewhere where I could get a good kind of, um, you know, consolidation of different developers and designers across the industry and their learnings and, you know, wanting to learn from other people. The best way to do that, I figured was by talking to them and interviewing them. Uh, which kind of led to us creating this this Facebook group and this podcast, right? And it's been uh, it's been kind of crazy. I know at the beginning, um, you know, the the very first one I had was literally I think on my iPhone. Um, you know, the audio wasn't the best <laughs> for the first few episodes. I'd say after I think episode uh, four, it was me just actually learning how to use my mic properly. I think <laughs> I had it angled it the wrong way, which is kind of funny. Um, you know, I think that. Um, We've uh, had some hot mic moments, which uh, have been uh, memorable. So we've <laughs> <laughs> learned uh, how to circumvent those going forward. We've had two. Uh, one was uh, more gracious exit than the other. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the learnings you have on the technology side uh, when you do these, uh, these kind of podcasts. Um, you know, even sometimes I'd forget to hit record, right? So I'd be interviewing mm-hmm. the person and then I'd be 10 minutes in. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Can we go back and start that again? I forgot to hit record. So a lot of this has actually just been building in 
like redundancies into the technology and kind of building in uh, ways to make sure it's covered. It is a lot of work. I don't, I don't know if people appreciate, I, I have a new appreciation of content creators. I know we've had a lot of them on the show and I love to kind of dig deep into that kind of stuff. Cause like take uh, the most recent one where John gets games, right. And we're talking mm -hmm. to him and I said, you know, your video, you do like a 40 minute video. How many hours is, goes into that? It was like 10 hours. Right. Uh, talking to the board game coffee guys as well. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, they say, you know, for them to do uh, a review video, they got to get the game. They have to research it. They have to play it. They have to play it again and play it again, have a good handle on it before they go and actually even just do a review. Like these are hours upon hours on it. So um, any way you can kind of, you know, cut through the clutter and uh, find kind of shortcuts, I think is um, has been pretty cool. Um, yeah, and, and even on the front end, getting people on the schedule, trying to make sure everybody's schedule lines up and reaching out, finding people that are on Kickstarter, finding out people who have published games that are willing to talk on certain days. There's yeah. a lot that happens before, a lot that happens after. And I don't think people realize necessarily sometimes that you're the wizard behind the curtain too, right? So <laughs> like for people listening or people watching, like 80% of these interviews are lined up by Mike. Right. So it is Mike's network that he's tapped into uh, to bring all of these great uh, stories uh, that these people have uh, brought to us. And, uh, you know, a personal thank you to to you, Mike. Uh, there's no way we'd be where we are right now if it wasn't for you. So it's been uh, it's been pretty cool. Uh, I think it's been a good team. Um, the two of us kind of working through these. But you're, you're right, though. You know, it, it's something as simple as not, I need to get better at this myself is even reaching out to some of the guests more than on like one or two days earlier and say, Hey, just to make sure, are we still good <laughs> for Thursday or for Monday? Cause there's been times where I think everything's good. And, um, we're like five minutes to go live and the person comes in and are in a, in a panic, like, Oh my God, I totally forgot about this. And they've all turned out really well, mm -hmm. but man, that's undue stress that, uh, I always feel bad about putting on people. So I know personally, I'm going to try to get better at that and just kind of try to give them more of a heads up so that they're better prepared. Um, so I thought on this podcast, we would go through some of the um, highlights that we've had over the past uh, 49 episodes. Well, I guess it'd be 47 uh, or 48 because the first one was, uh, was just our introduction. But what are some of the highlights for you, Mike? What are some of the things that, uh, you know, are, are standout moments for you in, in these past episodes? I think it's, you know, every episode, every story, every every game has a story behind it. And it's fun seeing behind the curtain of how things come about. Um, and I think as a game designer myself and a lot of the listeners, they want to know how a game comes to production. Um, and a lot of times people think they have to create something magical or something unique that's not out there before. And in, in Tim Eisner's interview, you specifically said, hey, what mechanic is the Tim Eisner mechanic? Mm, and and he, he came back and he said, I'm, I'm going to have to get back to you on that because I can't think of it right now. And he's a fairly popular game designer. And I Tidal think blades, just right? like, <laughs> Tidal <laughs> Blades, the Grim Force, <laughs> yeah. to name a few. And, and where he doesn't have a unique mechanic, you don't have to invent something new. You just have to put things that you enjoy and things that you like together in a nice package. And so if you don't have a unique idea, that doesn't matter. That's Use a good point, actually. And I think what he said on that, he's like, you know, for him, it's more taking different mechanics and combining them. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that's where we've seen this evolution in the board game industry, where if you go back to 
the eighties, right? And you, you have the monopolies and the risks of the world. And then Euro style games started coming in. And then you start seeing combination of different types of games. Um, they keep building on each other, these new mechanics as they come in and people I think are finding interesting and new ways to um, utilize some of these mechanics that maybe uh, weren't thought of in the past. And then I think that's going to inform even game development for the years to come, right? There's going to be some new things that are come up. There'll be combinations of things that are just happening now, which is, uh, which is pretty cool for me. I think it's, uh, I always get excited when I get a, uh, an instant message from someone, someone uh, uh, direct messages me after uh, an interview and says, um, hey, that person you're just talking to, is there any way you can connect me to them? Right. So, you know, Nigel Matthews of ShipQuest is a great example of that. That was a great interview going really deep on the logistics side. Not a lot of people get excited about logistics. I get excited about logistics. Not a lot of people do, but it's such a key, crucial component. As you know, being a game mm-hmm. guy that's actually launched a game, you, you got to know this stuff. Right. And having a resource like that, I had several people reach out to me saying, Hey, um, how best do I get a hold of Nigel? You know, I want to, I want to learn a little, little bit more about uh, ship quest. So for me, that gets me excited. Cause that means we're actually doing what we set out to do, which is create a knowledge base for people to benefit from. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought a cool thing too, was uh, the chai uh, tea and uh, high tea interview with the Kazmires. I don't know if you remember that interview, but what there's two things that blew me away on that interview. One was, is the first time, not that I, I had seen it, but the first time I had paid attention to a campaign using social media targets uh, to unlock stretch goals. I know lots of people have done it, but it was the first time I really noticed it was when I was watching their campaign. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty clever thing to do. Um, you know, building an audience is such a key component of, you know, uh, getting your Kickstarter campaign going. I thought that was cool. One and two, they did a 50% more on their second campaign, which was a um, expansion kit to their first game. And it was people coming what drove a lot of those numbers were people that didn't even uh, maybe opt in on the first game, but when they saw the expansion, it interested them enough. They said, okay, give me the level where I get the base game plus the expansion. And I thought that was pretty clever too. Right. So I think there's some people out there that might have games where maybe they've launched on Kickstarter and now they're thinking about their next game to go on Kickstarter. Well, you know, maybe there's an option in between there to do uh, like an expansion of your current game and get some new uh, interest in uh, in that base game that maybe people didn't uh, didn't learn about the first time around. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, there's there's so many. I find myself listening to the podcast. We'll have a guest that you know I I either know or know of, and and I think I'm not going to learn anything that episode. So I'm just sitting back and listening. And then like, I'm like, that's good information. Let me get my pen and, and write it down. Like with, with green inbox, I I hadn't heard a green inbox before. And, and I don't know how we got connected to them, but they were either from you or from one of our previous interviews. And so I wrote them down and, and just, you know, take notes of, of the success that that people have and, you know, try, try different things out. That one I found when I was, it was actually after the, uh, the, the Kazmires. I think they used Green Inbox. Um, Facade Games had used Green Inbox. So we saw two really huge campaigns in a row that had used Green Inbox. So I wanted to learn more about it like you. I, I thought, okay, what do they do? Like, I, I'm, I'm not really sure how this works. Um, so I reached out and, uh, and met uh, Aaron and, uh, and, and said, hey, you know, can, would you come on the podcast and just talk to us about this? Number one, was it hugely informative? 
mm-hmm. <laughs> hugely informative in terms of, I call it social media amplification. And I'll talk about that kind of near the, you know, when we get to the end of the podcast and talk about some of the key learnings, but what I thought was really interesting about, about that one was that they have actually lined up um, investors that will help factor um, a social media buy, right? So if someone has a campaign and they think, "Wash, you know, based on the, the testing we've done, we think we can get, you know, a five time factor uh, for every dollar we spend, we'll, we'll get $5 coming in, in terms of pledges. Um, that's a good ratio. Uh, man, just the more money you pump into this, the more money you're going to get back. Um, many people in that position say, great, but I'm doing Kickstarter because I have no money, right? I have no money to pump into this. Right? That's why I'm doing Kickstarter. If I had money, I wouldn't be doing Kickstarter. Yeah. And and so they they've solved that by saying, okay, well, if you're in a position like that, um, we have some uh, some venture um, uh, capitalists that are there to to help help with that investment and and bridge do bridge loans to cover that mm-hmm. off. So that was very very interesting and that caught me off guard. I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, and it was a pretty cool learning. I think it's something definitely I wrote down. I actually watched the interview back afterwards just to make sure I locked it in my brain as to what he said. Well, one thing that I especially like about that is as soon as you hit that launch button, you get so many vendors coming your way and some are better than others. And yeah. we had the Chai, we had the Facade Games, we've had people that have used them and have had success. So yeah. now it adds credibility to that versus the other, you know, vendors that'll come your way on your day one launch. Yeah. I think that facade is a good example of how um, you see this stepped growth, right. Of successive campaigns. So you have one campaign and they've got this really clever idea of creating like a book. Mm -hmm. So the box actually looks like a book you can put on your shelf. And now every game they do, they do another book. So it's like you're, you're adding to your collection of books on your shelf. So it looks visually very nice on your, on your bookshelf or on your game shelf. But if you look at their success of campaigns, each one adds more backers, right? So they're bringing over, say, 50% of their backers from the prior campaign or more, and it just keeps growing. So, you know, their last campaign, I think they hit almost a million dollars or, you know, I think once they went through their pledge manager at the back end, they're at a million dollars, you know, went from a few hundred thousand to a million dollars over, you know, three or four campaigns. That's a pretty pretty interesting growth. And, you know, for me, I think that was a pretty learning, pretty good learning too, that for people that are looking to get in in the first place, there's nothing wrong starting small, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to kind of bat for the fences out of the gate. You can do something that's small, manageable, take the learning from that, and then do your next game, build on that learning. And um, for me, uh, you know, it's Arthurus Games is another example where he was doing that on a bit smaller scale than Facade Games, but same thing. Andrew uh, Burkett, I believe it was you know, he launched a game Then his next game, his goal was just to increase his backer count. And he was saying, you know, I'm, my goal is to carry over 50% of my backers from campaign to campaign. If I keep doing that as I'm adding and growing, I should start getting to the numbers I want to get to eventually. And, um, you know, he's going the right direction. He's got a growth curve, right? Each campaign is bigger than the last, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what do you think about some of the artists we had on the show? We, we had, uh, we had quite a few. We had Andrew Bosley, Sarah Keel, Anthony Hoare, Tristam Rossum, all super talented, uh, was there anything that kind of stood out to you with the, uh, with the, obviously Andrew Bosley is, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with Everdell and, you know, donating a game for us to give away, which is great. It was there's a lot of interest that came in, but anything else uh, stand out for you on, on those interviews or? Um, I, I like their perspective. Um, I think the first, 
the bulk of our interviews have been game designers. And so getting people with logistics, people getting uh, with uh, marketing and, and getting the artist perspectives, I think is um, something fairly unique to our podcast. And, and, you know, they all have different opinions on how to work with artists and, and, and uh, whatnot. Sarah Keel for primarily with facade games. Um, she did my board uh, for queen bee as well. And yep. she's just, you know, a, a good person, great to work with. Um, and congratulations, Sarah and Josh, by the way, they just had a baby. <laughs> yeah, so, Thanksgiving day. Yeah. Congratulations. Wow. Cute little guy. I just saw the picture today. <laughs> um, yeah. You know what? I think it was kind of funny to me though, is, and I asked the same question to every one of them, which is how do you deal with the question of, um, budgets or someone uh, asking you how much is it going to cost for your work? Like how, how best they navigate that, um, that dialogue. And even me asking that question felt uncomfortable, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, and I don't think we got a good clean template of any of them. I think, and I'd encourage people to go back and listen to those episodes. I mean, we touched on some of the ways to do that. Um, and there's some good insights there, but it was interesting that they all had a very similar response that, Yes, it's kind of an uncomfortable uh, conversation to have. You know, how do you um, how do you value something um, that you do? They try to uh, assign time to it, but it goes beyond time, right? It's mm-hmm. you know, you're if you're if you're hiring Andrew Bosley, for instance, you're hiring for a very specific style, right? Mm-hmm. Sarah Keel, very specific style, right? So, um, you know, each of these artists have you know a talent that adds value to that. So it's not just uh, like you're going to uh, down to the mall and paying someone an hourly rate. Like this is, these are talented artists, right? So how do you have that conversation with them on, on what the cost would be? And I think we all kind of landed on all those interviews is that it's best to be upfront with the artist of here's my budget and ask them what can they do for that budget is probably mm-hmm. a better way to do it versus saying, what's this going to cost? And then you have to then say, well, I don't have that and then get into that back and forth, almost like you're haggling over art, which is never, never a fun, fun discussion. So, um, and with, with Sarah, something I I noticed in hers, um, she touched on what's art versus what's illustration versus mm. what's graphic design. And I think that's for people just designing a game. I think it's important to know the different roles that art and graphic design are. So, you know, Hey, if this artist is, is this much they're in my budget but they might not be covering everything that you want them to cover because they're doing the illustration and not the graphic design that's a great point i mean i'm going through this right now in a game i'm working on with um uh very uh, talented uh mitch to out of toronto and uh it's a nutty squirrels game that's gonna be coming out in the first quarter and he he's he he's an artist right so he's doing the illustrations um but he's, he, I need, I'll need like a graphic artist or I might do it myself because I have some experience there um, doing the layout, right? Laying it out onto, um, you know, onto the box and, you know, getting the, um, uh, you know, instruction sheets and everything all set up. That's something you're going to use a graphic artist for, right? You're not necessarily going to use um, an illustrator for us. Those are very mm-hmm. different things. So yeah, that was actually pretty insightful too. That was pretty cool. I think it's interesting that for me talking to some of these um, people that, our services helping the industry, I thought was kind of cool. So take like, for instance, um, like Joe Slack, right? Board game design course. Um, 
you know, we, he was actually on the podcast to talk about his game, which I can never pronounce relics of Raja Lavahara, um, which is a solo based game, but it just flows right off the tongue. Doesn't oh, it just flows right out. Yeah. I always rip him for it, but the, um, uh, and interesting enough, here's six degrees of separation is the artwork was actually done by a uh, Tristam. Uh, oh, who, funny. yeah, he was the artist on that, which is kind of neat. So, um, but you know, it's cool to see people helping others in the industry. So Joe's kind of full-time job in this design course is helping other people um, either create their game or helping kind of set up how best you promote it and so forth. Lean's heavier on the, you know, the creation side. Anybody that didn't check out that podcast, check it out. If not, uh, go try to get on his, you know, look for the link, which I think was on the podcast that we did. If not, I'll, I can drop in the bottom here. Um, but he sends out a weekly uh, email where he gives, here's some tips on some things you might want to consider. I learned something almost every one of these emails he sends out. He did one on tabletop simulator this past week. So he did a little video tutorial. And sometimes I say, Hey, you know, that's too good just to leave in an email. You know, Joe, can you please drop it in the board game binge uh, Facebook group? But you know, he did a, a tabletop simulator tutorial saying, you know, it's not that hard. Here's how you put your prototype game on tabletop simulator. So it's kind of cool seeing, uh, you know, people in the industry um, who aren't necessarily, you know, obviously a lot of them are focused on creating board games, but finding ways to support the industry. And you're seeing, I think the industry expand into support. Accessories is another good example. Um, so Game Trace, which came mm-hmm. in uh, from you uh, with, uh, with Noel. And um, that was, to me, fascinating that there's a business that's been created out of organization trace. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I know you had a good experience with it because you have it in your game that's behind me here. But seeing that or seeing the, um, uh, what was it, uh, tokens, Dan Blacklock with his token sesame or he had his box thrown. I got to say that box thrown giveaway that we did. Holy smokes. <laughs> he, he donated like a $600 uh, shelving system for us just to give away. Uh, that was that was insane. That was one of, uh, I think, one of my favorite giveaways that we did, but very, very cool to see kind of these satellite industries kind of popping up around, uh, around the board game industry. Yeah. It's, it's fun seeing the, the problems that board games create and then the solutions that get solved by them, whether it's game trays or organizers or whatever it is. Um, Cause it's always tempting to get something a little bit nicer when it's out there. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's true. Right? Coins. I want my metal coins. Um, you know, take Game Crafter is another good example of that. Although he's a manufacturer, he's a manufacturer that smoke, uh, smokes, focuses on uh, on small runs, like 500 uh, units or less is kind of his sweet spot. Um, for me, the learning there was he was USA based. I assumed he was just brokering out to China. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was talking to him. I said, you know, JT, like off here, I go, I apologize. I actually told a couple of people that you're probably outsourcing to China. I clarify that on the podcast. That's incredible that you're doing mm-hmm. this in North America and you can do it at a level that's competitive with these other manufacturers that are producing in China. Like it's, it's crazy. And for me, I think it was, it was neat to see, um, I'd use GameCrafter myself. I, I'm not sure if you've used GameCrafter uh, mm-hmm. in your past, but I know a lot of people have. But there was stuff that he does that I didn't even know he did. Uh, so that's kind of some of the gold for me as well when we do these podcasts. Um, and, and you learn something. You assume you know everything there is about that person you're talking to. And then they throw something out and he's like, oh yeah, we do custom meeples. 
Like what? <laughs> Custom meatballs? <laughs> when? Oh, no, just go to this page Where's... right here. Yeah. Just click through this link. I'll show you where it is. I was like, whoa. So that was pretty cool. I'd actually say what's interesting is that was actually the top downloaded episode we've had mm-hmm. since we started the podcast was, was uh, with JT. Um, so obviously there's a lot of people that are interested in prototyping. So I think what we'll try to do maybe is um, in future episodes, maybe we can try to find some more people to help with the prototyping. Um, I know, for instance, Joe Slack, you know, he talks a lot about prototyping using, you know, stuff around the house and so forth. But um, I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, yeah. What'd you think about, uh, I'm going to throw two names at you, the Jamie Stagmeyer and James Hudson interviews. Those ones are almost back to back. That was pretty cool. You're able to line both those up. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, um, I was incredibly grateful for one because uh, we were still pretty small in terms of our, our member base at the time when they did those interviews. Um, but it's interesting to kind of see two leaders in, in the indie game industry. Uh, one kind of going the route of creating their own self-publishing game uh, company, right? So Stonemaier Games end up stopped doing Kickstarter and move more towards self-publishing very successfully, of course. And then on the other side, you got James Hudson, Druid City Games, uh, going deeper into uh, working with others, in fact, merging uh, with Skybound, mm-hmm. right? And Skybound is a behemoth, right? Like they started the Walking Dead graphic novel, among other huge IP properties, right? So it's kind of cool seeing how those two went different directions. Um, what were your thoughts on those interviews? I like, you know, part of the reason why I reached out to them was I they've reached the level that I think every aspiring game designer wants to get doing this full time, making games um, and making good games. Um, And so hearing their stories both times, I think James Hudson came from the trucking industry or something not too long ago. And now he's doing board games full time. And then Jamie Stegmeier um, kind of got on Kickstarter right when Kickstarter was becoming relevant and then um, got off of Kickstarter because he, uh, got to the level where he didn't feel he needed it anymore and enjoys, uh, I think he said he enjoys some aspects of Kickstarter, but not all aspects. And so uh, he does it his own way now. And and that would be cool to to be at that level someday. I think GameFound is another group that probably doesn't uh, like the way Kickstarter does things because they're coming out with their own platform. That's someone I've reached out to. Hopefully we can get them on the podcast to learn a little bit more about their, uh, their new platform they're launching. Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool too. What I find interesting when you talk to uh, people like them, t- Tim Eisner is another good example where, um, you know, doing it full time uh, with Weird City Games now. And the, the, the evolution of the individual from having fun, creating games kind of as a side thing, you know, and hey, this is good extra income and fun I'm having over here. And then when it transitions into a full time job, um, the shift, right. Or now it's like, Oh, you know, this is now, this is serious stuff. This is actually business. This is no longer leisure. This is business, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I gotta be more disciplined. You know, I talked to Tim Eisner and he's saying, yeah, he goes, you know, I said, you know, Tim, you've got so many things on the go right now. Like just the games he was listing off that he was working on. Like he's got like eight, 10 projects at, a, at any given time. How do you manage it? And he is incredibly disciplined right? Like Mm -hmm. he carves off X amount of time that he's going to spend on his current game. X amount of time he's going to spend on, you know, the game that's currently uh, going into be, uh, you know, you know, final production and and publishing and so forth. And 
you know, for me, that was, uh, it was interesting when you hear people say, oh, I'd love to do this as a full-time job. Are you sure? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's still a job. Because it's a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, there, there's a reason why people do things as hobbies is to get away from their full-time job and do something that can allow them to decompress and just kind of get creative and, 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 and have fun. And, you know, once you kind of join the dark side of, okay, I'm going to do this as a business, um, you're still going to have all those elements. And I'm sure these guys would much rather do what they're doing right now than maybe what their prior jobs were, but there still does come a, a huge level of, of work that's involved with that. I think. Yeah. Um, for me, I think, um, uh, one of the other ones I had was, um, kind of the key highlights that come out of that. So, you know, I've been trying to recap each of these episodes as we do them. And I reflect back and say, okay, what's something I learned in there? And one thing I really set out to do uh, when we started was figure out what is the difference between like a $10,000 game on Kickstarter and like a $150,000 game on Kickstarter, right? What, what drives that, that, that bridge? And were we going to see any themes emerge? Uh, and I think we have. Um, you know, and uh, let me just preface this, but this is my personal opinion. <laughs> and Mike, if you're going to jump in, this is going to be your personal opinion as well. Um, but I, I have started seeing some consistencies between these, you know, these large campaigns and some of these smaller campaigns. And, you know, I thought for, um, you know, the people listening on the podcast, or maybe rewatching this back afterwards, maybe we can go through a few of those and um, at least get some kind of thought stimulated. These are very, very high level. So please do yourself a favor, go to Stagmeyer's blog and, you know, read a lot of his post games. That's going to help you out a lot. Joe Slack, read his book, uh, you know, get his, uh, his weekly updates. That's going to help you a lot going into the process. Um, you know, uh, you got, uh, you know, Bobby, the board game hacker. He's great at starting social media. He's a good one that we've interviewed as well. Good one to kind of figure out, okay, how do I start kind of planting the seeds of building that audience? But let's jump into some of these key key things for success. So my, I'll start off with the first one I've got in my mind. One is bigger campaigns usually have a team of individuals behind them. So it doesn't mean you can't do huge numbers uh, as a single person doing a campaign, but it is a lot of work, right? Like you and I have both done campaigns very, very small. I did the, the first two, I pretty much did myself. I'm not sure if you had much help with, with your campaign, they are a massive amount of work. So if you can build out a virtual team, right, of people to help you with those tasks, um, and or quite frankly, build out a team, including service providers that can show it, like say, again, take Green Inbox, good example, social media amplification. They've got a team of 50 in Israel uh, where they're working through literally thousands using AI software to run through thousands of different iterations of combinations and permutations of ads to figure out you know, best way to optimize that. Sure. You could do your own social media, but adding a, a group like that onto your team is, is going to help. Right. So bigger teams usually have, um, you know, I see more success is happening in the ones that have teams versus just individuals. Yeah. You agree with that? The other one I would say is, um, audience building. So most seem to have a pre-built audience. So whether it be an audience they're carrying over from prior campaigns Audiences they've created by having people follow along uh, in the development of their game, or have been part of creating a community. The Casmires did a great job of this. With uh, with you know, Steep Games did this. You know, had people you know 
weigh in on their artwork as they're going along, weigh in on, hey, here's a little prototype of what the tile is going to look like. And so, hey, we got this board that keeps the tiles from falling off and they kind of rest in here. All these little things where people can feel like they're part of that process um, seems to help build that community. And when you come into a campaign with a pre-built community, it seems to really give you a massive leg up than kind of coming in cold. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. I made that mistake in my first campaign, right? Is mm-hmm. it, it is infinitely more difficult and stressful if you try to create that, you know, the month going into your campaign. And, um, you know, the one thing I think Jamie Stagmeyer said very eloquently in his book, um, which I read before we did his interview, just to make sure I kind of understood where he was coming from, is he said, you know, if you delay your campaign, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> yep. Nothing bad is going to happen to you if you delay your campaign on Kickstarter. If you rush your campaign out the door because you create an artificial date that you're trying to stick to, lots of bad stuff can happen. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, I think a lot of people make the mistake of, hey, I've got a great game. It'll sell itself. I just need to get it up on Kickstarter and then it'll take off. And, and do, you, do you know who else thinks that? Everybody else launching their game the same yeah. day as you. Um, and so you have to create the audience and, and designing games is fun. Play testing games is fun. Marketing isn't always fun for everybody and building that audience isn't always fun. It's not designing a game, but it's, it's one of the more crucial steps in getting your game published. You have to build that audience. Otherwise you're selling to nobody. I've actually had people say to me, um, you know, I, I, I was, you know, scrolling through Kickstarter and I found, you know, these three campaigns did massive numbers, you know, they hit like 400,000 in sales, uh, in pledges and, um, you know, they're crappy games. So, you know, my game is much better than that. So it should, it should at least be able to do 10% of that. I think sometimes what's missing is some of these games, and this is going to get to one of my points in a second, um, may do well because they have intellectual property already built behind them right? So take Walking Dead, for example, not that they've got a card game, but say Walking Dead comes in with a card game tomorrow. They're going to bring a massive audience in just because it's a Walking Dead. And, you know, so they're going to start with a leg up, right? So they could have the crappiest card game ever. And they're still going to sell quite a number of copies just because it's Walking Dead. Um, again, not saying that they're launching a, a card game or that they would do a crappy game, but just, just trying to illustrate an example of an no spoilers of, here. Of, yeah, of an intellectual <laughs> property, right? So take any kind of intellectual property, um, apply it to anything, is going to come with a built-in audience. So you just got to be kind of mindful of that when you are kind of browsing some of these uh, some of these groups. Um, so you know the, the example of um, facade games with multiple campaigns building on each other. Uh, again, the Kazmaier Steep Games with their 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 Chai series, you know have an audience with one campaign, the next campaign comes in, you're going to bring some of that audience with you into your next campaign and hopefully carry that much larger audience into the campaign after that. You should see a ladder effect. So again, um, if you're just starting out, maybe start smaller and and start building towards these larger numbers. Um, But if you do play your cards right, you should be able to increase that audience and get the size of that growing with each successive campaign. Yeah, and to add to that a little bit, I would say, as long as you're delivering fairly close to on time and about as good of a quality as you promised during the campaign. Um, You can certainly burn some bridges or uh, decrease your following if you deliver something incredibly late or not as good quality as, as you promised. 
That's a good point. I think reputation is, um, I mean, it's tough when it's your first game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a challenge uh, some people have with their first Kickstarters is that they're, they're not known, right? And often when you're going to back a game, you click on the person's name to see, uh, have they launched another game? And if they did, how did it go? If you've never launched anything, people are taking an even larger chance with you um, that, hey, this, this may pay, play or it may not. Do they know what they're doing? Who knows? They've never launched a game before. So now that's a good point. Another reason why maybe start a little bit smaller um, if you're first starting out and then uh, kind of get into a bigger game maybe after that. Um, pledge managers. Uh, although you can um, manage pledges yourself, which I've done. So I've done two campaigns, one with a pledge manager, one without. Um, initially, they were designed pledge managers to help you with complexity, right? So if you've got a game that's got all these different add-ons and these different things, it can be a little bit cumbersome to kind of figure out how to do the billing, collecting the money and so forth and, and kind of organizing that. And that's what the pledge managers was there for. Um, if you do it yourself, you get an opportunity to send one survey out and it's not a very detailed survey. So, you know, th that's where the, the, the benefit is in terms of the organization. But for me, the pledge manager, the importance of it is with these larger campaigns is the marketing that comes behind them, mm -hmm. right? So you take uh, backer kid or you take crowd ox who have just recently got married and now they're crowd kid or whatever the new name's going to be. I don't know, maybe it's back, backer kid with a uh, powered by crowd ox, but you know, they, they've merged. But both of them have massive, massive, massive uh, email lists that they send out updates to on a monthly basis, saying, "Hey, here's the next games that we have that we're going that we're um, doing the pledge management for." That is thousands upon thousands of more eyeballs that you have access to that you may not have had access to if you hadn't used those pledge managers. So for me, the pledge manager, yes, if you have a complex game, it's helpful. Not necessary if it's not a complex game. But if you're looking for the marketing elements of that, that's where I think that they uh, they play a very vital role. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? You used a pledge man. I think you used CrowdOx, didn't you? Yeah, I used CrowdOx. And if I were to do it again, I would use CrowdOx again. Um, or BackerKit now. Or, or Backer, yeah. <laughs> Can't use CrowdOx anymore. Um, yeah, just good. Or any exposure is good exposure when you're in the middle of a campaign. Um, yeah. And so the more eyeballs, the more your game's going to sell. And I, I think if I didn't have CrowdOx, um, I would have done, I wouldn't have funded as, as much as I did. Yeah. And I'll say kudos to uh, Chandler Copenhaver too. He has been absolutely fantastic for the binge. Uh, he is, uh, was some of our earlier interviews we did with them. He came back, he did a recap of learnings with us again, had him on again for explaining kind of what that merger meant. Um, so he's been very generous with his time. So I know we rib him a lot because Mike and I, uh, <laughs> shoot him notes here and there, but uh, he's, he's done great with CrowdOx and I know he's going to add a lot to the backer kid team as well. We wish him all the best. Uh, and the last for me was the, the social amplifier. Like I said, like green inbox backer kit also has uh, a marking. You can hire them just for marketing um, where they do social media amplification. But um, you know, to me, what I've seen is, and, and this is why I, I honed in on them right away when I saw um you know, steep games, use them, facade games, use them. You know, it piqued my interest because those are two massive campaigns. And what I've seen, if you go onto the Korean Inbox website, it's not a guarantee that you're going to hit these large numbers, but they've done a lot of multi-million dollar campaigns, a lot. And they've done a lot of board games in, in the millions. So um, for me, that was uh, that that was a, a really a, a key success factor for some of these much, much larger campaigns is having some kind of 
team behind you that has software that can help manage the social media. Can you do it yourself? Absolutely. Could two or three of you do it yourself? Absolutely. But you kind of want to bring experts in if you want to get to some of those higher numbers because you're, you're going to waste a lot less money than if you just try to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, and then I guess there's the other factors, right? So I said like the IP, obviously that's that's something that is kind of the, um, the outlier that uh, you could not do any of these other things, but if you have the right IP, intellectual property, that can drive success. Not everybody can rely on that, obviously. Um, and then uh, I think, I forget who it was that was talking about it, but was mentioning um, that the type of game fit with Kickstarter is important, right? So games like Monopoly or those type of light type games um, don't do as well as games that have lots of minis, heavy into D&D, uh, campaign style games, those heavy strategy games, those seem to do very well on Kickstarter in terms of hitting some of these larger numbers. So I think that that's been, uh, that's been kind of interesting to see as well. Yeah. I think that was Tanner Yarrow that said Might that. Tanner. I actually, we got Tanner coming back. Um, and this is why if anytime anybody's like, gosh, yeah, we, you've talked to that person, you know, why are you bring that person back? 30 minutes is not a lot of time. <laughs> and the, like Tanner literally threw on, uh, at me, like, 30 seconds after we went off air of, oh, you should have asked me about um, licensing. Is that something people would find interesting? It's mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what? Of course they would find that interesting. <laughs> That's like a half hour conversation in itself. Of course. Uh -huh. So we're going to get him back on. We're going to talk about uh, licensing. He's got another campaign coming as well. So those two things will line up. So I think either this Thursday or Monday, I got to check my email when we're off here and we'll get them lined up, but he's going to come back. Um, but yeah, it's important to kind of make sure you got that right fit. So um, for me, I just want to say thanks to, you know, everybody that's been part of this journey with us so far. Um, you know, Mike and I look at the numbers behind the scenes and, you know, when we put this, start putting this out on the audio podcast, um, you know, I was excited to see, uh, the number of countries we're in. So do you know how many countries are in Mike? Uh, okay. no, I don't. 17. So we're in 17. So we're in USA, Canada, India. Poland, UK, Japan, Denmark, Sweden, Brazil, Philippines, Australia, France, Germany, Morocco, Netherlands, Slovenia, and Uruguay. So all of our friends from all those countries, just a big warm thank you to each and every one of you for being part of this. Um, it's cool when you see that the podcast is being listened to by somebody on the other side of the planet is, is a pretty cool feeling. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I was surprised, actually biggest surprise is India is uh, the second largest podcast market right now in the world, right next to the USA. Mm -hmm. uh, just for you know, overall downloads across all podcasts, India's the second largest market. It is uh, of all time for us since we've been on air, the rank number three. Um, but in the latest month, I think they actually jumped up to the number two spot, even above Canada. So hello to all of our friends in India who are listening <laughs> to uh, Board Game Pinch. I think that's super, super awesome. So sure. Any final thoughts, Mike? I know uh, this is a longer podcast than we normally do, but there was a lot we wanted to get through and really uh, talk about all these highlights. Any final thoughts from your end? Uh, yeah, I think a couple. Uh, to add to your list of things that, to, that'll help make uh, your campaign successful, uh, there's a lot of people in the industry that um, come, think they're going to make uh, a big splash on Kickstarter. They don't get as big of a splash as they want, and then they disappear. Um, and you never hear about them before or afterwards. Um, but there's a lot of people in the industry like Jamie Stegmaier, like James Hudson that um, 
you reach out to them and they they'll give you their advice and it's just their advice but they they're helping other people um chandler uh he, he calls it coopetition where your competitor your help you help out your competitors um and i, I think those those people are the ones that um really kind of have staying power in the industry um and so if you're looking to to launch a campaign what can you do beforehand to network, to connect with all these people? Um, I know we had Eric Furston, a play tester on the podcast and getting his perspective was, was interesting. And he, he works with Stonemaier Games quite a bit. Yeah. He also works with other uh, publishers. And I think doing something like that, it doesn't have to be a podcast. You don't have to do game reviews. You can just play games and, and kind of learn how to design a game um, yeah. and also network with publishers. And then the, the final thing I would just say before we get off um, or change topics is um, I would love to hear who you guys want to have on the podcast, either yeah. if you're listening to this on the, on Pandora or whatever. My heart or wherever. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're everywhere. Um, if, if there's somebody in the industry that you want to have, let us know, leave it, come join the Facebook group uh, and, and leave a comment on this podcast or any podcast or, or send a message to me or James and, and we'll, we'll do what we can to get them on the podcast. Even if they go to boardgamebinge.com, so boardgamebinge.com, it is the best resource for this podcast. So not only can you join the audio podcast by on your phone, you open up that uh, website, you can click on the button that uh, is your podcast provider of choice, whether it be Apple, Stitcher, Google, whatever. Um, it's got the full uh, history. So all the episodes we've done, there's filters. So you can filter by topic. So if you want to just listen to artists or if you're interested in designers or maybe logistics, you can you can click on those filters and it'll filter down all the episodes to just the ones that are relevant to that topic. Um, there's a, a form you can fill out, which we received that just says, uh, so if you want, if you want to you know, reach out to us, just put the information in there. Again, whether you're looking to get on the podcast yourself, Mike said, uh, you know, somebody you'd, you'd like to put on here or just have any ideas for us. Uh, you know, we're very open to hear it. We want to come at this from as many different directions as possible. We really do. And, um, you know, your, your coopetition, I love, I love that term. It's so awesome. <laughs> I have not seen any other industry that has competitors helping competitors as, as much as, as we've seen in, in this industry, it is crazy. And people have been so generous at their time, shockingly. So, um, the people that have said, Hey, you know, uh, sure. Let, 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 let's, let's talk. I mean, Dan Kazmaier, I sent him an email today. I had a question on something. He got back to me in like 30 seconds, <laughs> like literally three seconds. Like, it's like, he was waiting for my text. It's crazy. Um, and uh, I mean, Mike, you and I, we met, uh, on your first campaign, right? I was mm -hmm. a backer. I had a brother that's a beekeeper. I was interested in the game. Reached out to you afterwards said, hey, is there anything I can do to, to help? You know, I just, uh, I want to see this thing be a success. And I think that's kind of what the heart of this is. Everybody that's in this industry loves playing board games, right? So even if it's somebody who's making their own board game and creating games for others, they love playing board games. They love playing other people's games. I mm -hmm. saw Jamie Stagmire doing a review of, um, of, of chai, <laughs> chai tea. Cause he thought it was so cool that the tiles fit in the, uh, in the channels on their board. You can lift up the board and the, the tiles didn't fall out. I mean, technically they're competitors and here he is giving props to, you know, a good mechanic that he saw. So, or, or a good, uh, a function to their board. So uh, it's just, it's just such a great industry to be part of. And, and um, it just brings me absolute joy to be part of it. Um, 
So if people haven't joined our Facebook group already, please join our Facebook group. Either go to boardgamebinge.com. There is a button on the left side of that page that says join our Facebook group. You click that button, it'll take you to the Facebook group, or you just type in board game binge in the search bar on, um, on Facebook and you'll find it. Why it's important to be part of the group. Number one is you can be part of these, uh, these discussions live. So if you have questions for us, or if there's somebody we're interviewing that uh, you're interested in, you can actually send us questions and we'll try to get to them and add as many as we can uh, during that interview. Two, we're doing giveaways. And we're going to talk about some giveaways in a second, but we do giveaways fairly regularly. All you have to do is be a member. So there's people that have won giveaways that didn't even know they were entered into the draw. They're, they're members of the group. We ran a draw, their name came up and said, hey, you just won the, our, our draw. And they're like, what? I didn't even know I was entered. Yeah, if you're a member of the group, you're automatically entered. So there's there's benefits to being a member of our Facebook group. Um, and then if you could, on the flip side, if you're part of our group, but you haven't subscribed to the audio podcast, it helps us with our numbers as well. Uh, so if you don't mind, if you're part of the Facebook group, if you can go over to our podcast again on boardgamebinge.com, do it on your phone on there. There's links to the audio podcast. Please subscribe. If anything, if you miss an episode, the next day when you're brushing your teeth, you can listen to our episode. Or maybe if you're in your car on the way somewhere, uh, you can listen to the episode. You don't have to actually be watching uh, the video. You can actually get the audio from those interviews. It's just the exact audio of what you would watch in one of our videos. Um, and then as Mike said, please send us your, uh, your comments, suggestions. Uh, if there's someone you want us to talk to, we want to talk to them. This podcast is all about people. That's what interests me. I always uh, love the story behind how all these things come together. So without further ado, Mike and I have something very exciting we want to talk about. So Mike, I don't know if you got something you can hold up to the camera there. Dun, dun, dun. So for people who are listening, Mike is holding up a copy of Queen Bee. Being an owner of this game myself, I can tell you this is probably one of the most mini heavy games I've ever played <laughs> or owned anyways. Um, yeah. It weighs a ton. Uh, we're going to give a copy of uh, Queen Bee away. Uh, we're going to do as part of our uh, uh, giveaway in the board game binge. I think in fairness to um, Elf Creek, who generously donated a copy of uh, Honey Buzz, which again, it's not too late to get in on that. If you're not a member of our Facebook group, join the Facebook group. Just by being a member, you'll be entered into the draw. We're going to do that draw this coming Friday, I think. Um, and uh, and then uh, after that, we're going to get, do a draw for uh, Mike's game, Queen Bee. And either at the same time or before or after, but someone else will win a copy of Tanks, but no thanks, which is the board game that I launched. You know, I thought it was actually interesting, Mike, on a side note. Well, I was thinking about this this morning. These two games are actually have kind of similar mechanics, eh? Yeah. You realize that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you kind of, you, you roll to attack and uh, uh, a little bit different in terms of moving, but um, fun games. We're going to get these out before Christmas. So if people want to give them away as a Christmas present to somebody, um, you know, they're absolutely, uh, we, I'm sure they would love either of these games. And uh, we're going to try to do as many giveaways as we can before Christmas. So people have some stuff they can give away to their loved ones. So thank you everyone for being part of this podcast. Mike, yep. you've been awesome, man. Thank you so much uh, for producing this podcast and all the people you've brought in. It's just getting started, man. I can't wait to see where we end. Yep. Thank awesome. you, sir. You take care. Cheers. Bye. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group, 
Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Thank you.